Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back to the Be Unbound podcast. Uh, I am your host, David Rethemeyer, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Abraham Chen. Today, we have episode 68. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a unique episode. Uh, normally, we will be having a conversation with one of the hosts, with uh, either some of our staff, our students, or a guest to the program. This week, we are going to be giving you guys something a little bit different. Uh, Abe, tell us what we're going to be hearing about today. You might have heard recently we've had our base camp event one of our keynote speakers was Scott Grant. He is a great friend to Unbound. He has extensive experience in many different roles uh, throughout his life, but most uh, notably as a pilot in the Army and as well as uh, right now flying helicopters for the police force out in California. So he gave a keynote talk about the importance of resilience uh, the importance of pain and going through those things. I do not want to take too much of his. It was a very, very fascinating and uh, important talk for a lot of us. Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, please enjoy the session. Well, is it a fact or is it true? I mean, a fact or fiction, which one is it? You know me, huh? Yeah, you're like, I know that guy. I also know I have a solemn responsibility to be done by 3.30 so that you guys can go shark fishing. So we will do it all as best we can. And recognizing that I'm going to do this as expediently as I can, but um, I feel really bad for Tama who's going to try to follow me around. Just do wide angle zoom because this is what I do. I'm a mover. Um, first, thank you so much to Mr. Brush, you guys. Serious applaud for him and his whole staff. And Allison, who's not here, and without their vision and without their hard work and diligence, this doesn't happen. But it also doesn't happen if you guys don't come, right? So it is all of the above where it is successful. It is a group environment to change the world just a couple of people at a time. If we can focus an immense amount of resources in a small group of people, you can create great things. So Mr. Brush was talking about you guys being special forces, right? And um, have you guys ever looked at statistics about military ammunition usage? Sure, everybody here, right? I mean, that's common knowledge. You're on it right now. So in, in a typical division, you get like 8,000 rounds of ammunition to practice with every six months, okay? In special forces, they can get 8,000 rounds a month, Division is like 8,000 people. Special Forces unit, like 12, right? So you're investing intense amounts of, of resources and energy in a small group of people who can go and accomplish great things exactly the way Jay said this morning, relax, do one thing. Take it all down, but do it all. Okay. So the last person I want to thank and the most important person is Allison because if she wasn't the stability in my life, I wouldn't be here right now. Able to talk about the many, many different things that I've done, including crashing a wedding in a foreign country, which I wasn't invited to. So resilience. So um, a couple of days ago when I learned from Liz some really cool things about presenting and building a story through your verbiage and what that can look like. 
And I was like, okay, I can do this. So I started thinking of a, a desert and it's just miles of sand as far as you can see and the heat waves are coming up. And with, with the passing breeze, you don't feel cooler. You feel the, the open door of a furnace just taking you out, right? Just, just bearing down on you. And then I thought, okay, now you add an asphalt road in the middle of that thing. And, and with that, do you guys remember playing as kids on the asphalt and you'd have your hands on it and the dirt and stuff would get in your hands and it has that smell? Do you guys ever do that? Or am I just my own self here? And then I thought, or I could show you this picture. So I didn't know which one was better, but just in case I screwed it up, I brought this just in case. So, so I'm going to start with what a definition of resilience is in practical application. Um, so on this side over here, see two rows of people, CHP cadets in their PT uniforms. Can you see that? And on this side over here, have some like stadium seating where you have like um, just like three or four rows of people sitting in it, watching you. So. You guys are the audience and I'm the CHP cadet in my PT uniform, got it? And it looks like this, because it's 110 degrees outside. Why are we there? We're there because the in the CHP, the graduating senior class, um, they get to have the junior class do a PT presentation. And it's, it's like a, a day in the life of a cadet, make sense? So we're doing this PT demonstration in front of these people, facing each other, and we're about ready to get in the front lean and rest position on this asphalt. Now you can imagine if it's 110 outside, how hot is the asphalt? About 170 degrees. So you put your hands on it, what's gonna happen? It's gonna burn, right? It smells like chicken. It does, it does smell like chicken. So when you get your hands in that front lean and rest position and you start pushing out the push-ups, because that's what you're supposed to do, Within about seven, eight seconds, the first blister forms right here. And then the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one, about every second new blisters are forming all over your hands. And you're thinking to yourself, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. About 12 seconds in, the first blister pops. And then blood starts coming out, and it's just really gross. We finished the PT demonstration early because it looked like this, it was terrible. Is this a good idea? No, everybody can, you know, no, it's stupid, right? You don't do that. But after we're done, we're lining up and the PT instructor is looking at all the hands and I'm looking around, I'm like, how come some of these people don't have blisters all over their hands? I'm like, are my hands just wussy hands? I mean, literally, I mean, I got like, like dishwasher dove hands, what do I got, right? And what I, he came up to me and he's like, oh, you kept your hands down the whole time, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, isn't that what you're supposed to do? And I look around, apparently not. So the smart ones, figured out I'm gonna be moving my hands all over the place and getting up on my fingers or whatever so that I can get out of the pain. But man, what did it teach me? Now I know the ladies in here who have kids are like, shut up, that's nothing. But for me, that was a lot of pain. I mean, to be able to just put my hands on the asphalt and have the blisters go and then pop. And as they pop, your whole hand moves because now it's just liquid underneath your hands for that quarter of a second. So it taught me that I can take a lot more pain than I ever knew I could possibly do. That is resilience. It is when you push yourself beyond what you thought you could do. And now in the future, your limitations are that much more reduced. So resilience is the ability to keep doing the things you don't necessarily want to do, but you do need to do. So why am I here? 
Mr. Brush, when he was looking for presenters, he said, I want the most average person I could possibly find. This is me. I'm in this category right here, the middle 60%. Not so much in the top 20, not so much in the bottom 20. I stay right in here. Now, I know you guys recognize this bell curve because you're homeschoolers, but do you recognize this is like the C average in school? You guys, it, C's are okay. You know that, right? You guys are throwing up in your throat a little bit, aren't you? Like, no, I can't get a C. It has to be an A. I have to get, no, you don't. You can still get a C and be average and, and do extraordinary things, right? So Mr. Brush, when he's looking around, he goes, I found the average guy. And how did he know I was average? Because <clears throat> I graduated high school with a 2.03 GPA. You guys know the, the restrictions, right? It's like 4.0 is an A average and a 3.0 is a B average and a 2.0 is a C average and a 1.0 is D and a 0.0 is F. At least you showed up and got a free lunch, right? So 2.0 average, well, I'm lying because it is three one hundredths of a point above average. So why is this, why am I here then? If I'm average, why am I here? And I'm not here because I did extraordinary on my own things. I'm here because through God and resilience, man, you can do anything. Because with resilience, it doesn't matter at all what you add to it. You can create opportunities for absolutely extraordinary things. Let that delve deep into you guys. It's resilience that really keeps you pushing, right? This is from Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president. Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Nothing? Nothing. Talent will not. Nothing, talent will not what? Talent will not replace persistence or resilience. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. This is in the 1929 to 19, 1921 to 1929 timeframe. That's when he was president. Talent will not replace persistence. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. In the 1920s, genius will not. Genius will not do what? Genius won't replace persistence or resilience. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. It happened that much, apparently. Education will not replace persistence. This is my favorite line. Do you guys not agree? The world is full of educated derelicts. I might be one of them. Persistence and determination, determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan press on has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. There's something missing in there, isn't it? Is persistence alone? Is that enough? It's not, is it? What was missed? Is resilience alone enough? What about the World War II soldiers in the Japanese and German armies? What about the ISIS soldiers of today? Are they resilient? Absolutely they are, right? They, are they willing to die for their cause? Yeah. Is that resilient? I'd say so. I'd say that fits the category. Resilience with the wrong moral framework, however, can create as many problems as the good moral framework tries to fix. It's like the good side and the dark side of the force, right? You got Skywalker on one side, Nobi on the other, right? Bad Skywalker. So what are we trying to shoot for here? What am I trying to gain or transmit to you guys? 
The conditions that create the greatest extraordinary events are surrounded by peace in what you are doing. And how do you get that peace? Because you can be an Olympian, gold medal athlete, and six months later commit suicide. Why? Why? Because you didn't have peace. You had all the resilience you needed. You just didn't have peace. Everything in my estimation and in my 53 years of learning and living has shown me that resilience and spiritual resilience in particular is the foundation for everything else. If you get this one right, you can do anything as difficult as it can be and you'll still do, you'll be at peace. We talked about this last time for you year two students. Some of you, all you year one folks won't know that. But I've been to war a couple of times and risked my life a couple of times. But never once have I doubted that I'm going to die. I mean, I might have, but I didn't wonder, I got to protect my life and hold it with all that I have. I didn't. I didn't live my life that way, and I still don't. Because I'm going to die when God tells me it's time to come home, right? And if I live my life that way, and if you guys live your lives that way, why doesn't it translate into no fear and no anxiety? Why do we care about all the concerns of our daily lives if we give God the big one? My life is yours, God. Take it or leave it, right? It's going to be here. What? But I have anxiety over whether I'm going to pay a bill, right? Why? I mean, if this is true, what is happening in our decision-making that we forget that the big one's God, but the small ones are mine. I like those. I like to worry. You know, the Bible says, don't worry. This is where I'm going to come off of this a little bit. I, I was reworking this and reworking this and reworking this because what I've noticed in my life and in the last year of conversations is that I've noticed in, in you guys' generation and in, in every generation that you're, you're, fighting, um, you're fighting with the battle of why do I believe in a God that would um, fill in the blank, would allow suffering. Why would I believe in a God that would allow murder? Why would I believe in a God that would allow this suffering in my life or would do this or permit this to happen? Do I have doubts? And honestly, if you don't have doubts, you might want to look at yourself inside. If you don't have doubts and you're just good with God, great. Keep on going, right? But what I've, what I've resolved is that most of us treat God like, um, I can get this to work, like he's a genie in the bottle. We want what we want. And hey, God, give me that new car. Okay, God, it thanks. Can you get back in the bottle so I don't have to have a permanent relationship with you? Just pull you out when I need you. That's that is what I think most keeps us from spiritual resilience, from the ability to take the pain with God and know that it's okay to have doubts, right? Can you have doubts? I hope so, because I've had them all my life. I'm 53 now, and I'm still working on, on questions that there are no answers to, right? If you have questions, and you can't go to somebody 
without feeling like you're a Satanist because you ask these questions, go to somebody else, please. Get my email from Victoria, write me, and I'll write you back. And I won't tell you you're a Satanist or that you're you know, spiritually um, bankrupt or anything like that. Those questions you got to ask. And if you don't come to terms with those questions, it's really just phenomenally difficult or near impossible to find spiritual resilience. Let's catch that. It's, it's impossible if you don't reconcile who God is in your life. It, it just isn't going to happen because you're going to be filled with so many doubts that those doubts will take over when there is the slightest miscalculation in your expectation of what God is going to give you to reality. It's been my life experience um, that I got this from Dell Tackett from the Truth Project that Mr. Brush was talking about a couple of days ago. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real or true? How can you if you have doubts? Well, it's easy. You work through the doubts. 53 years of working through doubts. It's been pretty effective, right? I don't have all the answers, but I have, poor Tama, I'll, I'll stay right here. Um, if you don't work through those doubts, you don't get spiritual resilience. If you don't get spiritual resilience, you can do all the things in the world and they'll flounder in the end result. That makes sense? This one really doesn't matter that much, but it, it does in the sense that is God a God of love? If you have doubts, how can he be a God of love? Right? That goes almost back to a deist perspective. As God made us all and we're just here and we just have to do the best we can to fight for whatever resources we can garner and gather up during our lifetime. It's simple to say, it's really simple to ask. It's not simple to answer. It really is not. But this is the proof of my life. Um, and I really think you can see it in your lives when you look for it. It's, I can see it in my kids' lives and my wife's life. And um, the brush's life. I can see it all around. You can see that God shows up exactly when he needs to. Not when we want him to, but he always inevitably shows up when he needs to. And in my life, it's been an interesting experience that he shows up when I have no needs. That's kind of weird, isn't it? He shows up when I have no needs whatsoever. He just presents. What? what? What did that come from? I, I didn't need it right now. But um, the, the extreme difference is when he shows up when he needs to, those are the standing stones on which you now put your foundation and your spiritual resilience for when he doesn't show up when you think you want him to. Okay? But it's been proven every single time even a miraculous event that I, I, I experienced. I'm like, well, that was weird, but cool. Thank you, Lord. I mean, there's no scientific answer for it. It just was, okay? But I would have traded all of that for Alice and not have to go um, through chemo or surgery for cancer, right? So I would gladly exchange it, but God didn't, um, he didn't show up the way I wanted him to. He showed up exactly the way he surprisingly did when I didn't expect him to. So he didn't want us to be miraculously healed. He wanted us to be um, 
bonded. Relationship was more important than a miracle. The miracle was nice, but it, it, it was not important for what we were experiencing as a family. Did we have a hard time? Yeah. It was tough. It was spiritually and emotionally draining. It was just difficult. But the end result is that we were stronger, more resilient because of walking down that entire path. Miracle would have been great, but it, it would not have accomplished um, <clears throat> excuse me, all the things that God wanted us to do. And he does allow suffering, right? In my estimation and in my life, if my life is an example of a normal life, which I think so far it has been, kind of, um, God allows suffering. It's personality remodeling because we come up with stuff in our lives that's trash and God's trying desperately to get rid of it, right? Suffering is one of those ways. And the year two, folks, if you remember this, um, I'll give you a bonus dollar or something. Do you remember what the, the phrase was that I used after this in the slide last year? And you may not. You probably, if you did remember, it's because you're Wiley Cody, super genius, you got a photographic memory. It was almost like that. It was almost like that. It was, but it was never waste a perfectly good suffering because if you do, you're going to have to repeat it, right? It, my life has proven that true. If you waste a perfectly good suffering, you're going to do it again because God didn't get the remodeling that he was hoping to gain from you. Line up, get back in line again. It's like going through the second time and you're waiting for lasagna. You didn't get it second time around, but maybe the third time, right? So, you, you don't waste it, you guys. Bury yourself in that event. Absorb it for what it is. You don't have to embrace it like it's a good thing, but gain what you're supposed to gain out of it. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. I'm going to end with this portion of it in spiritual resilience. Do you really believe faith? Super easy one-word answer. Is the answer to spiritual resilience faith? Yes. But if you don't walk down the path of your doubts, you're, you're, you, the chances of you make it go down. Right? Figure out what your doubts are. Talk to somebody who's not going to call you a heretic for having doubts. And if this isn't your matrix, if you're not a Christian, spiritual resilience, you're still going to be able to do great things. Right? But from my experience, spiritual resilience is the piece that's the foundation for all successful future endeavors done with a peaceful heart. Emotional resilience. This one's just a minefield, right? Because when I'm going to stand up here and in 20 minutes, I'm going to teach you how to be emotionally healthy. Right? Right? So um, pain, heartache, loneliness, rejection, abuse, sorrow, depression, trauma, PTSD, among the smallest number of emotional ailments that we all suffer from. So what am I hoping to be able to do? I am, I'm hoping that if you just trust God, everything will be okay. Puppies and rainbows, right? You might be the occasional person who is like Louis Zambrini, who um, went to a, a Billy Graham crusade and then his life turned around. But I'm, I'm going to almost guarantee he still suffered with PTSD for a good chunk of his life. 
So if that's not the answer, and pain is not a sign of failure then, emotional pain, and it is a teacher, what are we going to do with this? How do we, how do we come to terms with being emotionally healthy and spiritually resilient so that we can accomplish the plethora of things God wants to do with each one of us? Is it possible to alleviate the pain? No. It doesn't happen, right? It, nobody can take the pain from you. It, it, has to be, it has to be worked out. And more importantly, I would, I would ask you guys to consider these points. Maybe the alleviation of pain is not the goal. Rather than alleviate the pain, maybe it's that the pain becomes a part of who you are as you walk through it. I don't know if you guys remember this from last time, but um, did you ever see Jumanji? Remember Chris, uh, Kevin Hart? He's the backpack guy. And in the second one, I mean, stuff's flying out of his backpack, like bazookas and chain bolt cutters and chains. And I mean, he's got like 20,000 pounds of garbage in his backpack, right? That is what you're going to have to do with this emotional pain that you carry around like a ward on your nose, right? We don't really want a ward on our nose, but the pain is a part of who you are. So how do you come to terms with that pain? That's the secret. You talk, give it to somebody for a little while and take it back. There's a, there's a point where the magic happens. And nobody can, man, I can't solve those problems in a half an hour. Nobody can. But if you recognize that there is an issue, please recognize it. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Call it what it is. Talk to somebody. Get a mentor. Find out who has been down this path before and get their assistance. How did you make it from point A to point B? I don't even care about Z. Don't even look at Z. Just get to B. I think in the Atomic Beach Bomb book, I don't remember what it's called, um, Take one step. Just take one step. <laughs> I literally had no idea. Something I think it, oh, there we go. <laughs> I like mine better. Yeah, I think mine's better. Spontaneity works again. Um, take one step. It, like you talked about, if you can't even go outside to buy the shoes, get them on Amazon. And it's maybe not running. Obviously, that's just a hyperbolic example. But take one step. And if you can take one step towards healing, then next week you can take another step and another step. And then at some magic point in the future, you don't know when it happens. But at some point, you realize that you're living with that pain. And you have control over it because you've taken it from here and you put it in your Kevin Hart backpack, right? We all just have immense numbers of um, things in our backpack. When you're younger, you don't have nearly as much. And when you get older, you do. 
you figure out at some point, oh, it's gone. I mean, it's still here. I can pull it out and look at it. I can put the warp back on my nose, but it's still here. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't carry any weight anymore. Put that in your backpack and don't pull it out unless you need to practice it for some reason. And I don't mean that flippantly because sometimes I'll practice an emotion that I know is particularly troubling for me, like anxiety. Anybody have anxiety, right? Do you ever practice it? Do you ever pull out the emotion and go, okay, so I'm anxious about, and then you can try to dream up the emotion and then take it on the path you want it to go down. You ever try to retrain your brain? The railroad tracks, we use them in our house, right? Not literally in our house, but in our brains in our house. Those railroad tracks, have you ever seen the scars of a railroad that was pulled out? And so there's nothing there, nothing at all but the barren ground. All the railroad tracks have been pulled up, all the railroad ties are pulled out, and there's barren ground. And it lasts for decades because of all the stuff that was there, all the, the poisons and stuff that were in the, the railroad ties to keep them from not degrading, right? You can, you can take a mountain bike on some of those in California and ride for miles and miles and miles. That is your brain, right? When, when you have a thought process that you keep going over and over and over again, you're building that railroad track so that instantaneously, as Victoria was saying, your brain will hop back on that railroad track in a heartbeat. Instantaneously. You don't even have to think about it. It'll do it for you goes to the limbic train station and boom, it's off, right? That scar is there. You can try to retrain your brain and you can retrain your brain. You absolutely can. But every time it wants to go down that scarred railroad track series in your brain, you got to stop it and say, I want you to go down this path. I'm going to start thinking this path rather than allowing my brain to just reflexively go down that path. Make sense? It's practice. Things that are hard, you got to practice because if you practice those things, you become resilient, right? A little disjointed, but there it is. Commiserate. One of the things I could not do for Allison when she had cancer was know how she felt. I could kind of imagine how I would feel if I had cancer, but I couldn't tell how she felt. So commiserate with people. That's a good thing. Now, you don't want it to turn into a gripe session, right? So you went to a couple of uh, sessions, um, what were they called, uh, group therapy or yeah, support group. Um, and some of them weren't worthwhile because the same people complained about the same stuff over and over and over and over. Don't, don't waste your time on those because they're just bringing you down. But if you can find a support person or a support group that will hear you out and you can hear them out, that talking, that's healing. You got to do that for your emotional resilience, because if you do that um, and don't take the shortcuts, you guys know, you guys know what a blevy is, a pro, like a propane tank. If you've ever seen a propane tank blow up or a big like truck full of gasoline, you know, the big trailer is round and big thing. If that thing blows up, it's called a blevy and it, and it, it's amazing shockwave, right? Beautiful. <laughs> From my perspective, as long as you're not close, stay away. Um, if you bury your emotions, you're going to blevy. 
It's just life. Emotions are going to come out no matter what you do. And when they do, it'll blevy. And if you've seen that in your own life, or if you've seen it in other people's lives, please take two seconds to stop when we're done here and look at that and say, hmm, where did that actually come from? What was the core emotion associated with that blevy? And can I do anything about it? Can I retrain that part of my brain by speaking a different truth into what I am thinking? You can't escape. You can't bury the emotions. Um, guys, this is too old for you guys, I know, but some of you may have seen reruns. Do you ever see Cheers? Yeah. Okay. Hilarious, hilarious series, right? In my line, it's, it's funny. There's this, this character on there who's a bartender, and he's from the Midwest where they taught him to always bury his emotions and he just keeps pushing them down and throwing them down and I just do fine and I just keep burying them and there's a psychiatrist into the bar going tick, 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 waiting for him to blevy, right? He's going to blow up at some point. You can't just bury your emotions. It just, there's no escape. They will come out. Um, how about you talk and then talk a little more and if you don't do that very well, talk a little more. <laughs> No one knows when you're going to heal. But that bottom line right there is true. Your resilience will go up a thousand percent when you finally make it out of that doldrum of the emotional trauma that you're in. And, and that's the reward, really. Because now, even though none of us want to do suffering, now I'm capable or Allison's capable of, of doing immense things to help other people. Right? So nobody wants suffering, but when you're done going through it, if you absorbed it and took a hold of it, you can do a lot of good in the world. Nobody wants suffering, but embrace it if you have to have it. Because pain will always equal growth, and that will always equal resilience. Tim did me a huge favor last time by stepping out of his comfort zone and doing something that he had never done before. And that it took pain to go through the half marathon. I think Tama was with him. Um, so well done on you guys for taking the pain, right? That was, that was superb because now if you thought about running a half marathon, does it seem insurmountable or does it seem like, I could do that, but it would probably take me a couple of weeks to train. The first time you did it, you were like, I'm going to put in three months of training and I'm going to start now by walking to the mailbox, right? So the resilience that you gained from that was life-changing. You now are far, this is going to sound almost um, ethereal, you're far more powerful than you used to be, right? You're like Gandalf after he fought that evil demon looking guy and now he's like master of the universe, right? Well, you're not there yet because you wrote a half, a half marathon doesn't quite cut it, but you're on the way, right? But it's true. That growth doesn't occur without pain and without a little bit of suffering to get that resilience. But the resilience, once you have it, that's power. I mean, that, you, that, that, art, that quote from Calvin Coolidge is right on. Nothing will replace persistence. I don't care how genius you are. In my life, I have seen absolute genius, 165 IQ people, and nothing. Like, what are you doing with your life? I'm happy. Good. As long as you're happy, great. That's fine. Um, 
But if you're sad about your life and you're a genius, maybe you could do something about it, right? I'm a moron and I just had resilience. That's why I'm here. So take what you can get out of it. So I know there's only one O. It's, it's not that. Um, so professional resilience. We got we to gotta boogie here a little bit. So that's what I do. Most people, when you hear gunfire, what do you do? Run away because you're smart, right? I mean, no, same direction. Where's that gunfire coming from? Let's go to it. <sighs> Professional resilience. A lot of you guys suffer from this, this aspect of, I'm lost and I don't know what to do, right? I have all these tools. So, stupid war story. There I was, minding my own business, flying in Kyrgyzstan. You guys know where that is? Some of you guys. Um, Afghanistan? Go north and a little bit east. Okay. So we had just dropped off this general up at uh, Manas in Kyrgyzstan, and we're flying back to Bagram Air Base. And we're minding our own business. George, our autopilot, is flying the plane, and he's doing a great job until he decided to quit at night in the clouds. And when he quit, there's this like beep, 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 means that your autopilot turned off. And it turned east towards China. Now, I don't have, I, I go to China, but as an uninvited guest, in the military plane, they might not favor you coming, right? <laughs> so being a good pilot, if I was one, I would have known what my heading was, and I would have changed and gone back to the heading that I was on after the autopilot kicked off. However, I was not. I was busy blabbing with the other pilot, who I then asked, what heading were we on? And he's like, I don't know. And so both of us are sitting in an airplane with no avionics at 22,000 feet which isn't that bad except for there's a lot of countries in that area, small countries, and you don't want to fly into their airspace so they don't shoot you down. Not that they would, but there's always that chance because it is the stands. The second problem that we had is we were at 22,000 feet and the Himalayas are just south of us. Himalayas go up to like 29,000 feet, so we're just a little below. <laughs> See the problem? Yeah. And we're trying to turn to a heading that we think is close, but really the computer was automatically taking into effect the winds that we were experiencing. So if we had an 80 knot crosswind, it's pushing us that way. So we have to turn into it and go this way. Does that make some sense? Well, we tried ground communication. No. We tried ground navigational aids, you know, like a VOR. Have you ever heard of those? VOR, NDB, those kind of things. Nothing. So we're flying along at night in the clouds, 22,000 feet going, we can't talk to anybody. We don't have any idea where we are. And Brandon, the smart one, goes, hey, Scott, yeah? Don't you have a GPS in your pocket? Oh, yeah, I do. I pull out my GPS. It's a little handheld GPS. What was it for? If we get shot down, then I know how to get out of wherever we are and get to a good place. That's what it was for. And it's kind of programmed with some routes and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll use it for that. But I'm like, I, it's not an aviation GPS. It doesn't like process satellites super fast like you need if you're doing like 250 miles or 300 miles an hour, right? So, but it was a saving grace. It was a God's little gift to us. I pull it out of my bottom pocket. Program in the lat latitude and longitude of the next nav aid. Put it up on the desk. Wait for satellites, please. Satellites, ding. Got satellites. We're good to go. 
So we got out of it. Is that how you guys feel? You got a perfectly good airplane, you got working motors, the equipment is working fine in the airplane itself, the avionics is screwed. You're not getting anything out of the avionics. And the avionics tells you where to go, right? How to get there and all that stuff. That's all broken, you got nothing. So isn't that life though? Is that where you're at? You have a perfectly good body, great mind, energy, you got oil in the tanks, you got full tanks of gas, you're ready to go. What do you do? What do you do? I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know what to do. Should I go left or right? What do I do? That was fun. I don't know why it went backwards. You guys ever heard the expression, just push the button and see what happens? If there was a button in my city somewhere that you could just go up and push, I would be the one that would go up and go, just to see what happens. <laughs> just to see what happens, because that's the kind of guy I am. That's life, though. Push the button. Find out. What if you go left and you were supposed to go right? What's going to happen? God's going to turn you around. If my life is any example of what a, 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 a life... <laughs> A screwed up life could be, and it is. Um, God has never once not fixed something when I was trying to do what I thought he wanted me to do. Not once, people. Not even like for a, a minute. God fixed everything that I would screw up. I mean, if I screwed up and went and robbed a bank, I would, I'd go to jail, right? I'm like, oh, thank you, God, for keeping me out of jail for robbing the bank. No, but um, if I was trying to do what I thought God wanted me to do, just go do it. Go do it. Don't wait. Figure out something. Take a step. All right. Now, up to age 35, this was the number of jobs I had done. As a janitor, I worked at McDonald's line cook at a restaurant. I landscape worked. I was a mini storage attendant, army reserve flight medic, drywall worker, ambulance driver, EMT, university chemistry lab assistant, <gasps> radio shack employee, pizza restaurant employee, temporary employee for Campbell Soup Company and for the UPS union, auditing team, chemist, lab technician, biology, chemistry, introductory physics teacher, army helicopter pilot, ray pilot, CHP officer, and helicopter pilot, army airplane pilot. At 35. Okay. Was any of those, were they wrong? Which one should I not have done, guys? I'll, I'll give props for that one. However, however, from McDonald's, what was my next job? I went to be from McDonald's. I worked diligently enough at McDonald's to go be a line cook in a restaurant. Now, if you guys work in the restaurant industry, you know it's full of mayhem. But you don't ever go from McDonald's to line cook. You got to go through formal training. You got to be a prep cook. And before that, you got to be a bus guy. And then you got to do dishes. Right? So I agree with McDonald's as a terrible place to work. But look what it got me. And what did I learn in the restaurant? How to make delicious eggs benedict. Yes. That's the only thing I learned. No. <laughs> but I learned how to cook. Yeah. I didn't waste any of these, you guys. I turned left when maybe I should have turned right, but God fixed it and did something else with it, right? Don't be afraid to go out and experiment with what God has given you. If he opens a door, go through it, see what happens. Push the button, right? 
The other thing you don't know is how many of these jobs will turn into a life skill for you. When you go into a job, please try to become an expert at it. Even if you're average, like me, I graduated high school with a 2.03 people. That's as average as you can get almost, minus three hundredths of a point, right? None of that stopped me. I didn't say, well, I'm an idiot because I only graduated with a 2.0, so I'm going to go do this line of work. No. Why would you let it? Why, why would you let some obscure grading standard dictate to you what God is wanting to do with your life? Why? Oh, that's right. There's no good answer. Okay. So do something else. Um, oh, wait, let me go back. Uh, my least favorite job was this temporary employee for Campbell's Soup Company and for the UPS Union Auditing. I did not enjoy that job, but I took it because I had a wife and a kid and I needed a job after graduating college. And I decided not to be a doctor to my wife's chagrin. She's like, so you could have been a doctor or you're going to go work at the UPS Campbell's Soup Company. Hmm, thanks. So, but something I did not have, 10 key. Has ever used 10 key now? I can 10 key like I'm on fire now, right? That's a skill. Okay, it's not much of a skill, but it's a skill. But this, these three are the most important jobs I've had. As a Christian, that is a job, you guys. Take that job seriously. Seriously, it's a job. God gave it to you, right? Your servant, servant, job, right? Husband and father. And I think by the grace of God, and mostly because Allison stays home and is the, the rock of our life, that it's worked out pretty well. So one thing to, to push out here is... You never know which one of those skills God is going to use in the future. So um, last year, you some of you heard about our Nigeria trip. Did I tell you about that? I don't think I did. So we went to Nigeria with Ashlyn. You guys remember her? Some of you know my third daughter, Ashlyn. Um, she was at Apex once or two times. I can't remember which. Anyway, um, I started out on one of those pieces of on the list as a flight medic, right? So I had pretty good paramedic skills. And then on top of those skills, I added a whole undergraduate degree in pre-med, immunology, cellular physiology, biochemistry, all of those E's that you don't want to have to take, but they're really cool classes. I didn't do anything with them until I went to Nigeria. And then all of a sudden God used all of that knowledge that I had on a small medical team to be able to, because I was the only other person, we had a doctor, a surgeon, and the next highest medical really was me. We had an, um, an LVN and a nurse's assistant, a CNA, and I taught Ashlyn how to do vitals and how to do uh, patient history and evaluation of, of their symptoms and things like that. So we did all that before we left, but there was, there was supposed to be a lot more people with us, and COVID hit and we, we, lost, we lost a lot of people. So when I went there, I didn't plan on being a logistics director and a surgical assistant and um, a doctor. And I'm just kidding. No, I kind of did. I played a doctor a little bit. Um, I didn't plan on using all of those skills. But God brought all of that information together in a time that I, I had no idea that that's what was going to happen. Right? But I, I had all those skills. There was nothing wrong with that list. Right? except for maybe McDonald's. 
you are gaining skills everywhere you go. Last time in our Q&A, somebody asked me, well, what, what job should I get if I don't know what to get? You know? And I'm like, well, is there a 7-Eleven down around the corner? Just get a job there and practice your communication skills, right? I'm not saying that because 7-Eleven often are robbed and people die there. But that's, now, that's more my work now. Um, but do a job and do it to the best of your ability. Try to become an expert at it for two reasons. One, you may find that you do hate it for sure, but you gain skill by doing it. And the second reason is because you may find that you love the job. Because you didn't stop hating it, or you stopped hating it, and instead you tried to become an expert at whatever it is that you were doing. And if you can do those things, then God can do miraculous things with your life. It's not, it's not average or above average. It's not talent. It's not genius. It's just resilience with a spiritual foundation. Always remember that overwhelmed is just a perspective. When you're at work and you're like, I have 15,000 things to do and I can't do them all. Okay, screw it. Don't do them all. Just do one, right? Just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. It's just a perspective. Take that big deep breath. <sighs> slowly relax your shoulders. Okay, what's the next thing on my list? Break it down. Do one thing at a time. Oh, Mr. Brush brought this up last time in the Q&A um, uh, in that little foyer area. I don't know if you guys remember this. We have to do our jobs better if we are representing Christ. Sorry, it's just the way it is. If they don't know you're a Christian, you can get away with whatever you want. All right, carte blanche. But if they know you're a Christian by your actions, even if you haven't been like proselytizing or anything like that, but they know you're a Christian, their expectation of you is going to be off, overperform. Don't give them anything at all to show that you're normal in work. It's not fair. Not fair at all. Okay? So suck it up and just be resilient. Um, training by folklore. Okay, I, I do have to do this one real fast. You go into a new business and you think, man, this is not the best way to do this thing. When we got to Afghanistan in June of 06, we were taught you don't fly at night and you don't fly in the clouds. We have a perfectly great aircraft for flying at night and in the clouds, but whatever. Okay. We were taught that. So that's what we did. About October, we recognized because it's about the same latitude as California. We're going to have about eight hours of daylight pretty soon instead of the 12 to 14 hours of daylight. Our mission profile is going to be reduced. Why are we reducing it? So we started looking at policy and procedures and realized there wasn't anything. What had happened is when they first invaded Afghanistan, the crews didn't have the ability to fly at night in instruments because of some needs for the ground um, that it can provide. And so they said, well, we're not going to fly at night. And the next people that came, they were taught we don't fly at night or in the clouds. And the next people were taught. It's called training by folklore. It wasn't what was right. It's just how things are done. Challenge those things. Okay. Don't let those become the standard. Because we challenged that, we looked it up in policy, found out we can do it. We can fly at night, we can fly in the clouds. So we went out to each of the peripheral airstrips around Afghanistan, all over Afghanistan, and we made instrument approach procedures to each of those airports. About a month later, we get a call and they say, hey, we've asked Medivac helicopters to go rescue this Air Force guy 
who has third degree burns to his face. Now, for you medical people, you know that that's bad, right? Because if you inhale that hot gas, it could destroy your lungs. And we'll go into the details, but that's what can happen. So the medevac company was like, we'd like to go, but we can't because of the weather and we can't get over the mountains because of the weather. So they're like, well, what do we do? I mean, we don't want to let them die out there. So they called us and said, hey, I know you guys are a medevac company, but can you at least come over and pick them up? Why? Yes, we can. Why? Because we challenged the paradigm and we said, yeah, we can do that. We have that skill set. Not only do we have that skill set, but I still carry the MOS in the military so I can be a medic. So we'll fly over, we'll take off, I'll jump in the back, I'll treat him. And then when we get here, I'll take him over to the hospital and we'll have the ambulance meet us at the airplane. Perfect. It worked out well. Why? Because we didn't take training by folklore. Sometimes that training is meant to save our lives, but sometimes it's just how things have always been done. Kind of get rid of that. Um, failure, do it, experience it, enjoy it. It's a great thing. <laughs> relationship resilience. It's your job. No different from being a Christian. You get into a relationship and you get married. That sounds like it's terrible. That's your job though, right? And what I mean by that is you work at it. You find out, you study your spouse and you see what they like and what they don't like and what they would want in their language of love. Spend the time evaluating and understanding what your spouse needs and attempting to meet those needs. Not that they have to count on you only or exclusively. Don't get me wrong here, but it's your job to be the very best in that marriage that you can be. So take it as a job, do it. Invest yourself selflessly with no expectation of return on investment, but be careful because there's a lot of abuse that can occur in that and abuse is never acceptable, right? Emotional, psychological, physical. You don't have to be the only one who gives but you got to use a lot of wisdom in how that is applied, but give selflessly with no expectation of return. Okay. And communicate, 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 and then laugh a lot. And like Tim said, just don't quit. And I think this is how police officers make fun of firemen. <laughs> it's kind of bad a little bit, right? <laughs> but it is pretty funny. And this is the other stupid stuff we put on our lockers. The average human body contains enough bones to build an entire human skeleton. It's so stupid, but it makes us laugh. And at some point, if you want to hear the story of this, that I peed myself a little bit because I thought he was going to shoot me down, um, but he didn't. So I was very thankful. Um, but we had a great time with these pilots later on. Um, well, not those exact pilots. Okay, the last thing I'm going to end with is this. When I came back from Nigeria, with Ashland, we stopped off in Germany and we drove towards Austria. And this is one of the places that we saw. And it was um, a beautiful castle at one point, but now it's not. It's an antique, it's, it's archaic now, it's broken down, right? Don't build a life where this is what you end up with in 500 years. Build it so that it has value forever because this is neat, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore at all. It's gone, right? It doesn't have any value. Build what has value in your life. All right? He's got it. It's yours. Now run with it. Okay. So yeah, David, uh, this was uh, a really good session, at least for me to hear again and to really 
see how resilience applies to all aspects of life from communication to our spiritual life to really facing life itself, as Scott said. This was very, very challenging for myself. I hope it is for you, those of you guys who are listening. Uh, if you have any thoughts on how you've been able to face different things or face the challenges that life has brought you, I would love to hear more uh, about it. If you are watching this on YouTube, comment below or have any thoughts listening to this on our other platforms, send us a message. Again, we will love to interact with you guys. And if you're curious about what we do here at Unbound and some of the programs that we put on, we have Ascend, which is our project-based higher education program. Just about all of the students who are there listening to the session were students in our Ascend program. And if you want to find out more about Ascend, make sure to visit our website, beunbound.us slash Ascend. Right now, we do have a referral program going on. So if for those of you who might be listening who have been a part of the Ascend program or us at Unbound in the past, uh, you can refer a friend. And if they enroll, then they get some of their travel expenses covered for coming to amazing events like Apex and Basecamp. Speaking of referrals and all that, some of you guys have heard of our Navigate class. It is a special class designed to help young people learn to ask good questions, figure out the questions that they should be asking and what God has for them in this critical time of life. If you are an Unbound alumni, if you have a sibling who is interested in the class, there is a special discount. There will again be information about this in the show notes below. Definitely check that out. And last but not least, for those of you who are interested in some of our events, uh, our biggest event here at Unbound is Apex and the student cabinet, the groups of students who are working to make Apex happen uh, are hard at work, and we have Apex Join the Story coming up this year in August. So if you want to learn more about that and learn more about our referral program for that event, visit beunbound.us slash Apex. So thank you very much for joining us for this session. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed and you'll be returning for our next episode. Next week, I will be joined by Jonathan, Jace, and Victoria, where we will be talking more about our Ask, Understand, Do, Live model, specifically the first part of that, which is Ask. I am very excited for that conversation and hope to be joined by you guys then. So... Thank you very much for listening, and as always, be unbound.